Hi, this is Christian Kuhn at Urban Village Church. It's great to be back with you for this sermon podcast. We are in a sermon series here at the church where we are talking about restoration. And so I'll reflect on that in a moment. But first, let's take a look at the passage that we're going to focus on today. This comes from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. A tradition my family started several years ago was whenever we would travel somewhere, we would buy a Christmas ornament from that location, and then we would wait and then bring it out. That would bring back some memories, and we would put it on our tree. It's now gotten to the point where we had to buy a small, we usually buy a real tree, but we bought a small little artificial tree that is now our designated travel tree because we've had so many ornaments that we've purchased over the years. One of my favorite travel ornaments is one that we don't even have anymore. Urban Village went on a mission trip several years ago to eastern Germany to help a Methodist ministry in Chemnitz, which is in the former uh, East Germany. On our way home, we took a little side trip to Prague to visit my wife's uh, cousin, David, 
and his family. And we did some sightseeing in Prague and walked around. And we walked in this little shop that had Christmas ornaments. And we found this really beautiful blue and white crystal ornament. And we loved it. And we bought it immediately. We were a little nervous about packing it. And would it make the trip back home? And we put all kinds of wrap around it to make sure that it wouldn't break and it made it. And we were so glad for that. So that following Christmas, we brought it out and hung it on the tree along with uh, the other travel ornaments. This was before the artificial travel tree. Well, the tree that we purchased that year was a little funky and it leaned a bit. And so we had to we usually set our tree up next to a window that looks out on our courtyard. And so we took some twine and we tied the tree to a handle uh, that opens up our window overlooking uh, the courtyard. I'm not sure what happened that year, but late one night, it might have, in my memory anyway, it's the middle of the night, we heard this loud thump crash. And we ran downstairs and the tree had fallen over. So we picked up the tree and looked at all the ornaments on the ground, and I was checking to make sure to see, did any of them break? Do we need to clean up? And sure enough, that lovely ornament that we bought from Prague uh, shattered into so many pieces. Over the years, of course, now that ornament has risen in value every year that we put the ornaments on the tree. The plastic ornaments, of course, old ornaments from the 1970s, they made it just fine. But that fragile little check ornament, uh, there was no saving it whatsoever. Well, we've all had things broken. You may have a story of knocking something over, something glass perhaps, or crystal or something, and seeing it shatter on the ground and all of those different pieces and your heart just sinks, especially if it's something that you value. And that's a pretty good metaphor sometimes when we think about times in our lives when we have felt shattered, when we have felt broken, when we have felt the shards of our lives, our hearts, our souls kind of in so many pieces on the ground. Well, I mentioned earlier that we are in this sermon series that we're talking about restoration And so today I want to talk about what does it mean to be restored when we have that feeling of being shattered, particularly if we have felt betrayed by someone or there's been conflict with someone and we feel like we have been shattered as well. Well, this passage that I read from John 21 gives us a pretty good entry point into what I want to share today. So a quick reminder, this is John 21. John 20 is the passage that we read almost every Easter, verses 1 through 18. That's the resurrection story that we read, and Mary proclaims the amazing news that she has seen the Lord. Jesus shows up a couple of other times, or one other time. Jesus appears to the disciples, offers them peace, breathes the Holy Spirit into them, and then after that, we read the story of Doubting Thomas. Now, today, we have John 21. In this passage, we see some of those disciples have gathered. We see Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, two sons of Zebedee, and then two others. As I was reading this passage this week, I sometimes whenever I read a passage like this, 
I always like to, I think I've said this before in other sermons, I like to use my imagination. I like to put myself into the story or at least try my best to try to figure out what are the main characters in this story? What are they feeling? What are they sensing? What are they smelling? And this passage today heightens all of those uh, senses because it's uh, on on the seaside. So as I was trying to figure out and do my best to try to guess what are they feeling, what's going on through their minds, I wonder if they're wondering, are they still questioning exactly what has happened since Jesus' death? They hear the news that miraculously he's been resurrected. He showed himself to them, but still you can't really blame them if they weren't quite exactly sure and whether they were really totally buying into the fact that Jesus had shown up in their midst. Specifically, I was wondering about what is Peter thinking? What is Peter thinking? He was at the tomb, but he didn't see Jesus at the tomb. Instead, he's, we assume he was in this group, but it doesn't. the text doesn't tell us exactly what is Peter feeling when Jesus makes his appearance to them. So again, a reminder about what happened to Peter. If we Move back to John 13. I will lay down my life to you, Peter says to Jesus. But Jesus says to Peter, actually, you were going to deny me three times. And Peter scoffs at that. But you may know the story. In chapter 18, we see it once, twice, three times. Simon Peter denies knowing Jesus. So on this morning, what's going on in Peter's mind? Does he believe Does he believe, does he feel some guilt, perhaps? Some shame? Are the other disciples giving him a hard time for that? We don't know exactly what he was feeling, how when Jesus appeared to those disciples, but I I wonder if he was having some questions about what does it mean to be fully restored? What is his desire for that restoration? Well, we get a sense anyway of how much he desires this reconnection, perhaps this restoration with Jesus when he jumps in the water and recognizing that Jesus is in fact there for them. Well, when Jesus makes himself known in this story, he's doing something that's totally consistent with his ministry. And in these stories that we read after the resurrection, Jesus acts first. Jesus makes the first move. Jesus comes to them. He calls out to them. Jesus, earlier in John 20, offers peace without the disciples asking for it. Jesus offers them advice on how to catch fish. Jesus offers them food. So Jesus is the one who's making the first move. Jesus is acting first. I remember several years ago when my mother-in-law was uh, still alive. And one of the very first times I went to their home, uh, my now wife's uh, home for dinner, and we were surrounded at the table. And at the time, I didn't know that um, there were some things that my mother-in-law followed when it came to matters of etiquette. Uh, And one of those things was that um, whenever the host or hostess sits at the table, everyone else waits until um, the host or hostess picks up his or her fork uh, to start eating. And then that's the cue for everybody else to start eating. I wasn't quite attuned to that little piece of etiquette. So one of the first times I went to uh, eat, 
uh, I started eating before everybody else and uh, was a little embarrassed and hoped that that would not put any kinks in my desire to court uh, my mother-in-law's daughter. And thankfully, she was gracious and uh, in a sense kind of, quote unquote, forgave me for that little lapse in etiquette. But now our kids have picked up on this. And so now it's almost a little joke that especially after dinner and after uh, we're waiting for dessert and we're waiting for usually my wife to sit sit down and she makes the first move. She picks up the fork. So we wait until she is the one to start eating and then the rest of us start eating too. It's kind of a silly example, but I thought of that this week as I thought about the times that Jesus, throughout his ministry, so often, Jesus is the one who acts first. I think sometimes in our faith lives, we believe that we have to go to Jesus, that Jesus is just going to wait and wait and wait for us, and then Jesus will respond with presence or love or grace or what have you. As United Methodists, we believe in something called prevenient grace. That is the kind of grace that God, that Jesus offers to us without us even knowing it or realizing it. Jesus makes the first move. Jesus makes the first move here in this passage. Jesus makes the first move to these disciples who at one time had abandoned him, including Peter. Jesus makes the first move and offers all of these things to them. And then they graciously and gratefully accept it. Peter is restored. I hope that this can be a lesson to those of us in our lives when we reflect on this whole notion of restoration. Today, as you're listening to this, you may be in one of two places. You may be feeling like you need to be restored for whatever reason, in God's eyes or in a relationship with someone else. Or you may be in a position where you have to be the restorer Perhaps there is someone who has harmed you and made you feel like you have been shattered. Jesus offers us, I think, and hope something that we can never fully comprehend or give thanks enough for it. And that is that Jesus is generous despite betrayal, despite abandonment, Jesus offers so much. Jesus offers acts first, and Jesus offers grace and love and food and instruction, all of these things. And it is there for the disciples to receive, and they say yes to that. Jesus shows us that restoration is possible. And I hope that is good news if you are the one who's feeling in need of restoration But I also hope perhaps that Jesus can be a model for you. Maybe you are in a relationship where restoration needs to take place. Maybe with God's help, you can be the one to make that first move so that restoration might take place. Recognizing, of course, that there are times when we are so shattered that that may not be possible. But perhaps in this certain case, in a situation that you're in, maybe that can Maybe that can happen. When I was thinking about what it means to be restored, especially when you have felt shattered, what it means that Jesus is the one to kind of help that restoration take place in our lives, I couldn't help but think of a piece of art that we have in our home. I've talked about this a couple times throughout my ministry, and it's also in my book. It's a 
piece that is created by an artist uh, named Mary Proctor. She's known as Missionary Mary Proctor. Mary started, uh, she's based in Florida. She started making her art after suffering a personal tragedy. In 1995, three members of her family were killed in a house fire. And afterward, Mary sensed that God was telling her to respond to this loss by painting, specifically painting doors. She followed that call, and to this day, she still paints doors and other found objects from, uh, really, it's, it's a junkyard that she lived next to. As part of her art, she often writes inspirational messages, all of which come out of her own upbringing and her faith. A common subject is in her messages is her grandmother, more specifically the lessons that her grandmother shared. And this is the message on the piece that we own. It says, my old, my grandma, uh, grandma's old blue willow plates. And in this, I'll p- try to remember to put a picture of this on the Podbean page so that you can see it. There's the grandmother and then there is Mary and their bodies are made out of a broken plate. But Mary has taken this broken plate and pieced it back together again. And it says, oh, I remember so well when I was a child and I broke my grandma's old blue willow plates. I thought she would whip me. Instead, she held my hands and said, child, I forgive you because just yesterday God forgave me. He said, one must forgive to be forgiven. And in this message, restoration is so evident in so many different ways, not just the messages painted on this uh, piece of art, but also in this plate that was broken and shattered, but has been pieced back together. And you can see restoration shown and conveyed in multiple ways here. That work of art has always spoken to me. I love the way it takes brokenness and transforms it into beauty and honesty and grace. When I bought it, I thought it would just provide me with inspiration whenever I reflected on it. But over the years, I've discovered it's had a much broader and more diverse impact. Visitors who have come into our home have commented on it, either in our home or I used to have it in my office in a church building. Sometimes I would bring it out for a children's sermon and young uh, children would look at it and now it hangs in our family room and this is a few years ago, but I was surprised that one day my son rattled off what the painting said as if he were right, uh, reciting the, the Lord's Prayer. These words have embedded into his heart and others who have seen it too, and that, that gives me joy so that they too can know the power that transformation can take place, that even in the midst of brokenness, transformation can happen. Jesus is the model for us. Despite betrayal, Despite abandonment, despite his friends and followers turning their backs on him in his last days, he still provides. He is the one who acts first to assure them that they have everlasting life, that they have grace, that they have love, and even that they have food and instruction and guidance and a mission Peter, not only the one who had betrayed Jesus, denied him three times, not only is he given grace, but now he's given a mission to go out and take care of others in Jesus' flock. Restoration can happen. Jesus is the one who makes the first move. And so restoration can happen for you today too. And I hope perhaps too that Jesus can be a model. Jesus can be a model for you perhaps if you are in a relationship that needs restoration too. That's not easy. And again, I know there might be situations where that's nearly impossible. But at the very least, I hope and pray that 
Jesus, the way that Jesus shows us that restoration can happen, might fill you, and especially if you are feeling broken, that you might know too that remaining shattered, completely and permanently shattered, that's not the gospel. That's not the way of Jesus. No matter what, Jesus can put those pieces back together. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. I realize it has been several months since I have put out a podcast, and we'll see if this continues. I hope it can. I hope you will reach out to see what's going on in the life of Urban Village. You can see urbanvillagechurch.org and uh, find out all that's going on in our ministry. So until the next time, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. Thou my wisdom and thou my